Exodus 16, 4, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain down bread from heaven for you. In John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of God. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father who loves us so much and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Margie was 35 years old, still lived with her parents. It was Friday night. She just finished watching a movie with her mother, You've Got Mail, with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. The 24th time they had watched it, still made him cry every time. And now Margie was standing in front of the open refrigerator looking for something to eat, a little midnight snack, something that might uh, satisfy. She wasn't exactly hungry, but she was tired and sad and lonely and bored, and she was bitter. Yeah, she was bitter toward her ex-boyfriend, Alex, who had dumped her. It was seven years ago, but she was still bitter. (laughs) And so there she was, staring into the refrigerator, looking for something. She didn't know quite what it was, something that would satisfy. But of course, it was highly unlikely that anything in that refrigerator could ever fill the emptiness she felt. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Old Testament reading for today, we have the Israelites out in the wilderness one month into their journey to the promised land, and they also are thinking about food. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This was one month after they had left Egypt. There they had been slaves. They had cried out desperately to the Lord for help, and they had seen how the Lord dealt with their oppressors in that series of plagues, frogs and gnats and flies and hail and locusts and darkness, all culminating in the death of the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And through all of those disasters, the Israelites themselves had been miraculously protected from all harm and danger. And now they were grumbling in the wilderness. Even though in Egypt they had seen the hand of the Lord. It was the Lord who had commanded them to eat that first Passover meal. And so there was the lamb and there was the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of their houses so that they might know that they were saved by the blood of the lamb. 
It was the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It was the Lord who had parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. It was the Lord who had brought the waters together again so that the mighty Egyptian army was completely obliterated. Moses and all the people of Israel sang the praises of the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. It was a great celebration. They were on their way to the promised land. And now it was one month later, one month, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Isn't that amazing that their praise and thanksgiving could so quickly turn into grumbling and complaining? Isn't that amazing? Their real problem, of course, was not so much a lack of food, but rather a lack of faith. The Israelites didn't really believe that God could or would take care of them. They had forgotten God, forgotten all the gifts they had already received, forgotten that life itself is a wondrous gift each day, a gift from a gracious Heavenly Father. They had been blessed so much and yet now their thanksgiving had turned into grumbling and complaining. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And how is it with us? We also, of course, have been richly blessed. Americans as a whole are the richest people in the history of the world. Most of us here today, I would guess, have plenty of stuff. We are generally not lacking when it comes to stuff. And we have such rich spiritual blessings. We now have the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ, which the ancient Israelites did not yet have. We have the entire Bible in our own language. We are free to come here week after week for worship without fear of some reprisal. We have this great heritage of Lutheran theology, law and gospel, the pure preaching of the word, the holy sacraments, and on and on, blessings more than we can count. We have been blessed so much, and so, of course, we are the most grateful people in the history of the world. Little Lutheran children, always grateful always grateful, always thankful for their parents and for all the rules that bring order and structure and security and stability to the household. And Lutheran youth, I mean, what can I say? I don't know much about Methodist youth or Presbyterian youth, but Lutheran youth just leaping out of bed in the morning, eager to remember their baptism eager to confess their faith in the triune God and to go to their Father in prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son. And Lutheran adults, whoa, Lutheran adults, always grateful, eager always to study the Scriptures, eager to hear them read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, we have been blessed so much. Surely we are the most grateful people in the history of the world.
or maybe not so much. <laughs> maybe not always. Maybe not quite that way. In fact, I believe that the Word of God would call us to daily repentance for our ingratitude. Well, back to the ancient Israelites. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread of the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain down bread from heaven for you. At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And we read that in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, Mana, Mana, what is it? What is it? And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. In that manna, the Israelites were seeing the glory of the Lord. As they went out to gather the manna each day, they were in a strange and mysterious way actually coming to Jesus, seeing Jesus, feeding on Jesus. Jesus still hidden then, but one day to be fully revealed. And finally, he came. And in John chapter 6, we find Jesus himself out in the wilderness at Passover time, surrounded by grumbling, grumbling, hungry people, growling stomachs, and all he had were those five barley loaves and two fish. And we read that Jesus gave thanks to his heavenly Father. In the midst of a grumbling and complaining world, he gave thanks to his heavenly Father. And miraculously, all of those people were fed they were all well satisfied. After the miracle, the people actually wanted to make him their king. They followed him all the way across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum where he was teaching in the synagogue and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus always had a strange way of ask, answering questions. They said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said, truly, truly, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, the signs of my divine glory, but rather because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. That's a verse worth thinking about. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. I saw an article not too long ago in the secular press. I guess it caught my eye because it used the word souls, and we don't really hear about souls too much anymore. Anyway, uh, the title of the article was uh, Politics Can't Fill the Holes in Our Souls. <laughs> Politics Can't Fill the Holes in Our Souls. And the thesis of the writer was that traditional religion, 
uh, which once supplied people with a sense of meaning and purpose and belonging in life, traditional religion has pretty much gradually been excluded from the intellectual landscape of the Western world. We're not supposed to think about God too much or bring God into our daily decisions or our daily life at all. That traditional religion stuff has been pretty much excluded. But, the writer said, people still need that sense of meaning and purpose and belonging in their lives, something to which they can devote themselves with great religious fervor. And so for the last couple of centuries, we have continually had these great enthusiasms, almost religious enthusiasms, popping up all over the place, some of them political, some of them not so much. So we have had socialism and communism and environmentalism and capitalism and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump and the Indianapolis Colts and uh, the Chicago Cubs. I have trouble understanding that last one, but you know there are, those, there are those people out there who are religiously devoted. But of course, none of those substitute enthusiasms can ever fill the holes in our souls. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Those people who were fed by Jesus in the wilderness were at first quite enthusiastic about him. For one thing, they liked the idea of a free lunch. And for another thing, they thought that Jesus might just be the one to lead them in a glorious rebellion against the hated Romans. Make Israel great again. But Jesus had other ideas. Jesus said to them, I have come to do the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Jesus had come to do the will of the Heavenly Father. It was the Father's will that His Son, Jesus, should live the perfect life of obedience and love that we were supposed to live but never quite got around to living. It was the Father's will that Jesus, His Son, should suffer terribly, taking upon Himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And amazingly, it was the Father's will that Jesus, his only son, should die in our place as our substitute, the final evening sacrifice, the final Passover lamb, so that we might be saved by the blood of the lamb. We have so often tried to fill the holes in our souls with other things leaving God out of the picture, not thinking a whole lot about him. And then when it doesn't work out too well, we grumble and complain. But our Father has been so good to us, just as he blessed the ancient Israelites with manna in the wilderness, just as he fed the 5,000 by the Sea of Galilee, so also he has blessed us with the true bread from heaven, Jesus, the bread of life, Jesus who died for all of the grumbling sinners who had ever lived and all of the grumbling sinners who ever would live. Jesus, in his death, is our life.
At this point, I think I'd like to do something I don't normally do, uh, but somehow the text seems right and the timing seems right. And that would be to talk to just one segment of the congregation. That would be uh, those who are going away to uh, college here in the fall. Um, and uh, just like to address them for a moment, those who are going away to college. So I would, I would request that uh, the rest of you who are not involved not listen to this part of the sermon. Um, high school students in particular, this is not for you. This is just for mature, sophisticated college students. And parents of college students, I prefer that you not listen because I'd just like to have a confidential conversation with your sons and daughters here before they go away to college. I'll try not to look at any one college student because I'm not thinking about any one college student. I want to pick on any one college student. I want to pick on all of the college students. Some of you going away to college for the very first time, and that's really exciting as nearly as I can remember. Uh, a really exciting time because it's like the world is opening up before you. And even going back for a second year or third year or sixth year or whatever it takes you, you know. Uh, still somewhat exciting always to be uh, going back to college. And I know you have a lot on your play, a lot to think about, a lot of excitement, a lot to do. You're a lot busier than I am. And so I don't know whether you've thought about going to church while you're at college. I don't know if you've thought about that or not. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've decided, some of you, and this is between you and me now, because your parents are not listening, maybe some of you have decided that since you are now throwing off the shackles of parental control and you will now be free, that it wouldn't be all that necessary to go to church every week since your parents always made you go to church every week. So perhaps it would be okay to just kind of give it a rest, take a little breather. I mean, what could it hurt? Just one semester off, and then you could certainly go to church when you come back here to Advent. Or maybe some of you decided that you will go to church whenever it works out, whenever it's convenient and there's not, you know, too much uh, going on, but... Uh, of course, there might not be a Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod congregation just right near your dorm or even right near your campus. So that might be a problem, and it's always kind of awkward. It's kind of hard going into a new church where you don't know anybody, and pastor there might not be like Pastor Grady or Pastor Feeney, and that might be a problem too. And, and, and of course, sometimes you might, you might actually be out late on Saturday night studying in the library. And uh, it would be hard to get up on Sunday morning for that 11 o'clock service or whatever, whatever it is. And so you might not always make it, but you would go occasionally whenever it works out. I mean, it's not that big a deal. It's just church, whatever. Well, I hear you. I think I know where you're coming from. I hear you, I get it. But I do have a couple of questions that I would like you to consider first. 
Are you crazy? Have you lost it completely? Jesus is your bread. He is your food. He is your life. You desperately need him more than you know. More than you know. Well, I guess that was our word of exhortation for today. And now I would invite the rest of you to start listening again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Martin Luther actually uh, took this verse as a direct reference to life everlasting, I believe quite correctly. Luther wrote, these words should be inscribed in every heart with golden letters, yea, rather with living letters, then everyone may know where to entrust his soul and where he will go after this life's close. Not too long ago, I did a funeral. I don't do too many funerals anymore, but this one was down at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Waymansville, Indiana, where I first served as pastor. They happened to be vacant earlier this year. They didn't have their own pastor, and so I was called upon to officiate at the service, uh, the funeral service of an old friend, former parishioner there. Bill was a, a key leader, church officer, and also was a youth leader when I was there way back, and so we spent a lot of time together back then. And more recently, Bill had children out in Arizona, as we do, and so we would get together occasionally out there. He's a good friend for many years. Long time ago, Bill had a big, white, shaggy dog by the name of uh, Noah. And we'd sit around, and Bill would ask us, uh, do you know why we named the dog Noah? And we would say, no, Bill. Why'd you name the dog Noah? And Bill would answer, because all he ever said was, ark, ark. <laughs> he told us that one about 324 times. <laughs> Maybe 325, I'm not sure I lost count. And every time, he would laugh heartily. And we would laugh with him, because it was good to be with Bill and to enjoy our life together. Life, this wondrous and mysterious gift of life. It passes so quickly. The Bible says it's like a dream in the night, and you wake up, and it's gone. You wonder, where'd that go? But because we know Jesus as the bread of life, we also know where to entrust our souls and where we will go after this life's close. As I walked into that old church in Waymansville, I thought about how Bill had been brought up there. He was baptized and confirmed there. For so many years, he had heard the word of God there and received Christ's true body and Christ's true blood in the Holy Sacrament. Through the years, Bill had been nurtured and nourished by Jesus, the bread of life. And again and again in that old church, Bill had said something over and over again. Bill had said, I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the life everlasting. 
And you know what? Bill was right. <laughs> After the service, we took the casket out to the old cemetery just down a little and across the road from the church. That's where the uh, committal service was. That old cemetery is pretty much the quietest place in Waymansville right now. And Waymansville's a pretty quiet place. You ought to go there sometime. But there will come a day. Ah, uh, there will come a day when that old cemetery will be rocking and rolling. <laughs> the day when, as the Bible says, the last trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised and we will be forever with the Lord. The eternal banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb and His kingdom which shall have no end. Today again, we have a foretaste of that feast to come, the body of Christ for you, the blood of Christ for you, the true bread from heaven, the food that endures to eternal life. Psalm 107, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.